Welcome new and old friends, my name is 242, and today, 2 got us 7 true, terrifying reddit stories. These are creepy encounters and let's not meet stories. I'm also joined by Phoenix Fire, or also known as Back to Ashes. If you like what you hear, remember to check him out after the video. Also, please remember to like, subscribe, share, and of course, leave a comment. Turn off your lights. Make sure your doors and windows are locked. Things are about to get spooky. Stalker Stalking the Wrong Person by Vipass Narrated by Phoenix Fire or Back to Ashes I'm a person with pretty long hair, but not female nor trans. There is a girl in my university class last year that has the same hair color as me. Black, long hair. She is quite popular and usually gets asked out a lot. Sometimes people confuse me with her due to us both having black hair, similar height, and similar hair length. She would sometimes tease me about having to worry about such long hair, but that's off topic. One night in February, I finished my homework and packed up since there was the term break. It was getting a little dark out, but I figure that a single kilometer walk to a friend's house wouldn't be dangerous. I used to play a bunch of sports in high school, so I feel like the close proximity to the campus, as well as my personal strength, were able to defend myself for just an hour. Canada, where I live, is quite safe, as many of you might know. So, I walked on. It was around 10.30 when I started walking. Tons of students already left the campus beforehand, so there wasn't a lot of people traveling with me. Those who were probably just decided to spend another night in the dorms. My hometown is in British Columbia, and my university was far away, so I needed to board a plane to go back. Around 800 meters of walking later, I felt the presence of someone walking behind me. Suddenly, he put his arm around my neck and started choking me. It took me a good second to realize what was going on, and the person was choking me so hard I can feel my jugular vein expanding on the bottle due to lack of space for blood to go through. I kicked his poplita fossa, or however the hell you spell it, the back of the knee or the bottom of the thigh, I forgot. That made his knee bend forward, and he started falling to the ground. I back-kicked him on the balls, which is when he let go a little. Then I got out of his arms and started punching his face. In my adrenaline-filled moment, I thought he was going to attack me again. So I punched him a few times to make sure he wouldn't get up, ran away, and called the police. Thankfully, I was okay, with no damage. The guy who'd beaten me was apparently a stalker confusing me for the girl I mentioned above. He was arrested, however, I don't really know what happened to him. Although he did get charged with assault and stalking, however, my memory is a little faded. I hope this story can inspire others to not panic in a situation like this, but to get out of it ASAP. As a police detective, my first wish was easy, to be able to look at someone and see what crimes they had committed. A week later, 
I gouged out my own eyes. He was watching me by Kea Rafilia. This happened a few summers ago. My friends and I threw a going away party for our friend that is going to migrate to Canada. We went to this island and it was during the non-peak season, so that means that we were the only guests there. We arrived at the island just around after lunchtime. A few kilometers away from the resort, there is a small village just near the port. When we arrived to the said port, the resort service vehicle was not there. They alerted us they were going to be late because their vehicle broke down. So we decided to stop by this small store and bought some other necessities that we forgot to buy on the mainland. There was this group of men around their late 20s that were catcalling us. Our group consisted of five girls and four boys, and one came up to me and asked for my number. I refused politely, and one of my guy friends ushers me away from him. Thank heavens our service arrived, but he was still staring at me, and to be honest, it creeped me out. When we arrived at the resort, it had cottages that were on stilts. You had to climb a bamboo ladder to get in the room. It was also made from bamboo, just your typical hut. Even the floors are made from bamboo. The bathroom is separate from the huts and is for common use. We partied and I got tipsy because I'm a lightweight. I excused myself from the group and climbed up to the cottage to change into my swimwear. My friends really wanted to go island hopping, and I also planned to go swimming on the beach and island hop, just to lessen the buzz. I was not able to change since the room started spinning. I decided to take a nap instead. I told my friends to just go without me. It was a long debate because they didn't want to leave me all alone, but I insisted they should go. After a bit of begging, they went on to island hop without me. When I woke up, it was already around twilight. The resort was quiet. It was a bit dim inside the room. The resort had internal lights since electricity only runs via solar and generators. They only turn on the generators around 7pm. I can already feel the hangover. I used my phone's flashlight to help me see. I noticed the door was slightly ajar. I was sure that it was closed when my friends left. When I was about to close the door, the head of the guy from earlier popped out and he gave me that creepy smile and was still asking for my number. I told him to get out, but he was begging for my number. He even used his foot to stop the door from closing. I screamed and he kept saying in our language, which translates to, Ma'am, let's fuck. I kept on screaming and I called my friends. What he said next made me shake. He said that my friends hadn't arrived yet. He had been standing there for hours, and he was watching us. I kept on screaming for the caretakers of the island. I screamed help, and finally I saw the beams of flashlights running towards us. He quickly left, and he ran towards the forest just behind the hut. I was shaking, to the point that I was not able to stand up. 
My friends arrived and the caretakers told my friends about what happened. They asked for help of the caretakers and the local chief of the island. They went on manhunt to look for the guy. Sadly, he was not seen. We left the same night and just transferred to another island with a much more private resort. But, Doctor, you said the sterilization went perfectly. How can I be pregnant? I knew you wouldn't understand the blessing of a child on your own. So I took it upon myself to help you fulfill your purpose. Cece's Pizza employee read my mind and told me exactly what I needed to hear. By, meaning smart in Germany. Nere by, Phoenix Fire back to ashes. I love telling this story. I just never get the chance to tell it. So, in my freshman and sophomore years of high school, my film teacher and I did not get along. I was essentially an unstoppable force and he was an immovable object. I had my own way of working, my own ideas, my own way of doing things. Our assignment at the time of this story was a mini-documentary. It was a Saturday and we were called in to work. Yeah, I know. So we would get finished by the deadline. I was, admittedly, cutting it very close. I finished the assignment, but it was right as the deadline was about to be done. Looking back, I know it was shitty, but I wanted to die on the hill that I still did it. My film teacher absolutely blew up at me. He called my work ethic bad, suggested I should drop out for a semester because I'm not fit to do the course. You know, stuff like that. Basically, said I wasn't fit to be there. I was distraught. At that moment, I hated every single thing about myself. It was a cold day, and I remember crying outside, waiting for my mom to pick me up. Once she did, I told her everything that happened. She had to go to the hardware store, so she let me roam around a local Halloween prop and party store next to it. They were having a huge sale on Halloween items, as it was around December or January, and I got a bunch of stuff, including these black coffin-shaped sunglasses with roses and skulls on them. I fell in love with those cheap $1 sunglasses. I thought they made me look killer. After she got done, she went to a nearby CC's because she said it might cheer me up. We ate, it was fine, but here's where the weird part starts. I bring my coffin glasses inside, obviously, now that I'm obsessed with them. I have them on the bridge of my nose, putting them on because we were about to leave. Even though it was pitch black outside, whatever, 16-year-old me. A woman comes over to take our plates. She looks older, around her 60s. She beams at us as she takes our plates and cheerfully strikes up a conversation with us. She sees my coffin glasses and we get into a small discussion about how she used to know people who dressed like me when she was my age. I have a more alternative emo goth style look. But then, she looks directly into my eyes for the first time, this conversation, and says something along the lines of, You need to love yourself. 
and the more haters you have, you're doing something right. Even if a certain someone tries to tear you down, it means you need to stand up and do what you love. That's the most important thing. In an instant, my expression falls. My mom smiled and made a noise of surprise. She realized it too. I'm speechless as I stare at her, not knowing how she knew what I needed to hear after my film teacher yelled at me for five minutes. That statement had nothing to do with the current conversation. Not once did she mention people hating on me for being alternative. She just said that, and I could feel it. She knew. She held my gaze for a few seconds as I was overwhelmed with emotion. I felt like crying again. But then, looking away and grinning, she just waved a hand and said, Oh, but what do I know? I'm just a little old lady. Let me take your plates. Goodbye now. She takes our plates, winks at me, and leaves. That last statement sealed it. She knew that her words affected me. I've never forgotten what she said that day. I don't know how the hell she knew. I almost cried in the car again home, but happy tears. Thank you, CC's lady. Also, I should state, I did not look like I had been crying at the table. Me and my mom were only briefly discussing the events of that day, and she was never around to hear it. Also, in my junior year, I joined a different class my film teacher was offering, and I loved it. And we have a great relationship now, so shout out to him. I was thirsty and tired after my daily two-hour walk under the unforgiving African sun. But instead of the well where all the surrounding villages get their water, I was greeted by a barbed wire fence and armored guards. The guards' uniforms proudly showed their Nestle brand logo. Strange man tried to force me into an elevator. By Anonymous. So this happened quite a long time ago, when I was just 20 years old. At the time, I was living alone in an apartment in a notorious building near the center of my city. It was Saturday night, and I had been going out with my friends and my now partner. Because it was past 4 a.m. already, he and his friend drove me and my close friend back to my building. She lived near me, so she only had to walk about one minute home, but it was difficult to get to by car. We said our goodbyes, and my friend started walking towards her place, while his friend stayed in the car. We made out for a few minutes until some guy started hollering from one of the balconies of my building. I felt a bit embarrassed by having a public like that. So, for me, that was the cue to say goodbye and go inside. I walked to the entrance, and as I entered the building, a guy walked down the stairs. I didn't think much of it, so I just pressed the button for the elevator, simply because I didn't feel like taking the stairs to the sixth floor where I lived. The man, maybe a few years older than me, asked if I had a cigarette. I told him, no, sorry, to keep it short and simple. He just nodded, kept staring at me, and stood next to me waiting on the elevator. I felt creeped out by this, but decided to still wait for the elevator and just get home as fast as possible. 
At this point, I naively thought maybe he would just leave once the elevator arrived. However, he didn't. Once the elevator doors opened, he stepped in and just waited for me. I got inside the elevator and noticed he didn't press any button. I got a weird gut feeling, so I excused myself and told him I needed to call my friend. He grabbed my arm and tried to pull me back inside the elevator, saying, No, no, come here. I told him louder, Let go, I really need to make this call. And I pulled my arm hard to free myself. I almost ran outside, but I didn't know where to go. I was afraid to go back inside, but it was so late, so I didn't feel safe outside either. I just started walking away from my complex and called my friend. She asked me where I was so she can come to me, but her phone died before I could answer. I didn't know my partner well back then, so I felt really uncomfortable and almost embarrassed to reach out to him, but I did anyways. The need to get somewhere safe was bigger than my embarrassment, and I didn't know anyone else who would still be up at this time. I texted him, and once he got to know what was going on, he and his friend came racing towards me. They were there within five minutes, parked the car, and escorted me back home. By the time we got to the building, the guy was nowhere to be found anymore. They still decided to escort me back to my apartment and stay with me for a while, until the sun came up and I felt comfortable enough to go to sleep. I had three locks on my door, so as soon as I left, I locked myself in and went to sleep. I reported it to my landlord, but he couldn't help me since the security camera often didn't work and happened to be offline that evening. I told him about the guys on the balcony as well, because I didn't know if he was one of the men and therefore saw me going in alone. But the landlord told me no one with that description lived on that side of the floor. Looking back at it, I'm so grateful for trusting my gut instinct and just getting the hell out of there. I don't know if he would have done anything, but it was a weird situation regardless, and it could have ended badly. I felt nothing but terror when I saw those eyes staring at me through the crack in the doorway. I can't believe it broke through another set of chains. The man stopped me from being kidnapped by Kaneta Kid. My mother was stationed at Kaneta Air Force Base around the late 2010s, and being a military child at the age of 12, my life had reset once again. I didn't have any friends again, and I had to learn an entirely new neighborhood. It didn't really have anything that made me ecstatic. That is, except the Pokemon League held on base. It was ran by a few people who earned their judge cards from Nintendo, and held tournaments and just open game nights. It was really fun picking up the card game, playing in the video game. They even had a small gym and Elite Four system. I had a lot of friends, and one of them was one of the judges, who I'm thankful still to this day, because if it wasn't for him, I may not be here right now. The judge in question, who will call Professor Jitso for the sake of 
keeping him anonymous, was a nice dude. He was the youngest of the three and wore a white professor getup. He looked maybe on the edge of his teens, early twenties, with dark hair and glasses and a skinny frame. He was extremely helpful to newcomers, sort of like the big brother we could all look up to and strive to beat in our children's cars and video games. Even if his game name was Jetso, which was a bit nerdy even for him. He was always one of the last people to leave, helped to clean up, and he supposedly lived nearby. That last thing is important for what's about to happen. It was a bit of a cooler night when the event ended. I was sitting outside in the parking lot, scrolling through memes my friends texted me as I waited for my parents to arrive to pick me up. I was just kind of zoned out as the time clicked by when I heard someone nearby. Hey, hey girly, you play Pokemon? I looked up at some really big dude, kind of chubby looking. I saw him every now and then at the events, and he didn't really stand out too much. I gave a small nod and said, yeah, I do, as he gave this wide smile, like creepy wide. He starts walking forward, and I'm hit with this nasty stench, like bad body odor. I blink a bit as I see him walking from a black sedan with its back door open. I got this cool card collection. Come here, let me show you. Now, my parents have always taught me stranger danger, but my kid brain thought, hey, he went to the events and I saw him, so this should be fine. At least, so I thought, until he grabbed my wrist and started to drag me to the sedan. To say I immediately started screaming is an understatement. Stinky didn't care, though. He was still dragging me, saying how I will have fun, and throwing out things about trading cards, like someone listening would think that he was dealing with a whiny kid. I honestly thought I was going to be taken, and I would never see my mom and dad again, that I would be on the back of a milk carton and never seen ever again. Silly, I know, but I was rather sheltered about dying and death at the time. Thankfully, that's when Professor Getsu was walking out at that very moment, presumably on his way to walk home. All I know is I heard the sound of fabric hitting this dude's face as Professor had swung his professor coat right into the dude's face. I feel his hand go to where the dude's grabbing my arm, and I see his hand grip Stinky's pinky finger and yank back hard. Stinky let go and yelled like an animal as Professor pushed me back behind him as he yanked his coat off the dude. He then kicked at the back of the dude's knees and caused him to buckle as Professor grabbed his wrist and pulled back on them. Stinky groaned in even more pain as Professor looked at him with just cold look in his eyes. The big brother figure was gone and something else in its place and I think I was a bit scared of it. Professor's tone of voice when he spoke didn't help either. It was like icy daggers lingering with his words against Stinky. If I see you back here or doing this shit to my charges, 
This will pale in comparison to what Japanese prisons will do to you. Stinky would scramble away and get into his car and peel out of the parking lot. Professor glared at him till he was out of sight. He would then guide me inside of the venue, buy me some fish and chips, and sit down with me until my parents arrived. That cold persona he had when he kicked that dude was gone. Back to being the big brother I knew. To be frank, that frightened me. I didn't quite understand why the teenager was so aggro. I only later learned that Professor Getsu was a black belt who taught kids how to defend themselves with his mother at the local activity center. I suspect he has something of a protective persona or something in his life that led him to act in such a way. He explained the situation to my folks when they arrived. I wasn't allowed to go to the events and league as much as I used to, but did from time to time. Professor Getsu was still his normal self at the events and helping people, but he would stop coming to events a year afterwards, his license having expired and his father moving out of the country soon after. Reaching about the same age he was and with a little sibling of my own, I sympathize with how, for a brief moment, he became something terrifying just to make sure I was safe. Oh, and as for Stinky... He never did show up for any more events, and he was either banned or just scared of Professor Getsu. I wish the professor a good life, and I hope he's doing well. As for Stinky, I wish that we never meet ever again. I suppose it might have been a gimmick, but every time I open the book... Waldo seems to be in a different location. It took several more times before I noticed a few other people on the pages and what appeared to be newly dug graves in the background. I think I may have prevented a possible attack or abduction by Destroyer's Offspring. This is something I never really told anyone about, but I've been thinking about it a lot lately, so here it is. A few years back, between 2015 and 2016, when I was 18 to 19, I used to work at this little cafe inside of a car parts factory. It was basically a full-out but compact restaurant kitchen and lunchroom for the workers to eat there. Well, this one day, I get this call from my best friend slash co-worker. She's all kinds of upset because of this creepy new temp worker that made her feel severely uncomfortable by asking her a bunch of personal questions. Like what she drove, where she lived, if she was single, had any kids, when she gets off work, etc. She didn't want to walk out to her car alone. Mind you, she was my age too, 18 to 19, and this dude was in his mid to late 30s, if not already in his early 40s, and we're in Flint, Michigan, so we weren't about to take any chances. I drove up to the parking lot, find her car, park next to it, and she has a security guard to escort her out. We didn't see the guy then, but she describes him to me and the guard, and that was that for a few days. 
Someone found him and told him to stay away from her, and he did. But then he met me. I knew exactly who he was as soon as he stepped up to the register to place his lunch order. Just from the description I had been given and by the creepy vibes he was giving off. He pulled the same intense Q&A on me that he had done to my friend, too. But instead of telling him to fuck off or called security or anything like that, I just told him a bunch of straight-up lies. I told him I drove a blue 2012 Honda Civic, which I knew for a fact was one of the second shift manager's vehicles, who also parked near the front of the building. And so, I knew that it was going to be there until second shift ended at 11pm. I also told them my shift ended at 9.30, which was really the time that I usually slipped out for a cigarette break. So, when 9.30 hit later that night, I walked outside to smoke my cigarette, and I saw exactly what I was expecting to see. That stupid creep, in the parking lot, close to the area that that Honda Civic was sitting. He was just pacing back and forth behind two vehicles that were parked a few spaces down in the same row, playing on his phone the entire time. At one point, he glanced up and saw me staring at him, but I had my big leather winter coat and a hat on, so I don't know if he recognized me at first from a distance or not. I finished my smoke and went back inside and explained the entire situation to the security guards, one of which was the original guard that had escorted my friend out to her car a couple days before, and they were dying laughing at the fact that I had pulled one over on the prick and had actually caught him being shady. I'm not sure what exactly they did about it, because I went back to work after that but I do know that they immediately went out and confronted him in the parking lot, and that guy was fired the same week. To this day, I still don't know what his intentions were, but it doesn't take a genius to figure out that it couldn't have been anything good. So ultimately, the moral of the story is always have your friends back, and trust your instincts because if you don't, you could end up cornered in a parking lot and possibly attacked or abducted by some creepy guy who asked one too many questions. Edit, since I didn't include it originally. After my friend and I were informed that the guy was fired, we were told his full name and my friend paid to run a background check on him. And it came back with a violent criminal history of domestic abuse, assault and battery with a weapon, jail time served for violating a personal protection order, and parole, and some other things. Hopefully, this clarifies the fact that we weren't just picking up creepy vibes. From the witness stand, the little girl replied yes, her attacker was in the courtroom, and she could identify him. Muffled laughter broke out when she pointed at the judge instead of the defendant, as we all assume she made a mistake. Unfortunate encounter I had with a doctor as a teen. By 
Emily is on the internet. This is my first time posting on here, so keep that in mind. I'm not really used to putting my thoughts into words. This story happened when I was in high school. I was 15 to 17. It was the end of lunch break, and I was hurrying to class. I didn't really pay attention to my surroundings, and I was speed walking, so I didn't notice the other student who was running across the hallway, and they ended up running into me. I fell down onto my lower back. The fall was pretty painful, so I went to the school nurse. I rested there for a bit and started to feel better after about an hour or so. The nurse called my dad and he decided to take me to the hospital. I told him I thought he was overreacting and that I'd be fine, but he insisted and came to pick me up from school. The hospital he drove me to was a children's hospital, so I was annoyed at being treated like a child and I wanted to get over with as soon as possible. After waiting a bit, me and my dad entered the doctor's office. There were two nurses, a doctor, me and my dad in the room. I don't remember the details very well, but I think they needed to inspect the area of impact to decide if I need an x-ray or not. The doctor took me to a semi-closed off part of the room for inspection. It wasn't a separate room, but it had a wall so my dad and the nurses couldn't see us. It was my only direct interaction with this doctor, and it already felt like something was off when we stepped aside. He told me to lie face down, so I did that. And then the first weird thing he did was push my clothes and underwear aside so he could do the inspection. I didn't overthink it too much when it happened. It was kind of weird that he didn't let me do it, but then he just started the inspection and it went normally for about 30 seconds. They told me really quiet, something like, this would be so much more fun if we were doing this to each other. I was so choked that I didn't know what to say. I just gave a short answer that would end the situation as soon as possible. And then the inspection ended. The doctor didn't do anything else, and I went back to living my life. I think about this whole thing sometimes, and what really bothers me is that I'll never have closure. I'm pretty sure I heard him correctly, but I really hope I misheard him, or that he misspoke or something. If I did hear him correctly, however, that could mean that there's so much worse than just what I experienced. This man worked, maybe still works, at a children's hospital. Maybe this is something he did regularly with other patients, and maybe it was something more than just saying fucked up things. Maybe he even did fucked up things. Unfortunately, I don't remember his name, and I couldn't find any documents from my visit to the hospital that day, so I probably will never know. By the end of the day, I really hope I did mishear him, or that he no longer works there and face the consequences of his actions if he is an actual child predator. Having grown up with a violently abusive father, the man thought he'd never meet someone he hated more. 
As he watched the ambulance drive off with his bloody daughter, he finally realized he was wrong. With that, my friends, our time together is coming to an end. As always, I'd like to thank everyone who let me read their stories. Remember to always trust your gut. If it tells you to leave, leave. Be rude, make a scene. It's better for people to think you're weird or crazy over becoming someone's victim. I love the story about the surrogate big brother. That moment, he proved how he saw the writer as their little sibling. They were not going to let any harm happen, and I have seen siblings do this. They found the right person to help them. I hope you all stay safe, guys. Now, I hope you enjoyed these stories as always. And if you're into YouTube, check out Phoenix Fire or Back to Ashes. His links will be in the show notes for you guys. If you'd like to help this podcast grow, please share it with anyone who might like it. If you'd like to help financially, I have Patreon where you get some great bonuses. If you'd like to do a one-time donation, I also have PayPal and Buy Me a Coffee. Links to everything, including the ones to my socials, are in the show notes for you guys. But as always, guys, thank you for watching and listening. It really means the world to me. Sleep tight, and don't let 42 bite.